Good morning, everyone. My friends, um, about three, four years ago, uh, for those who have been with us, um, during the homily, I demonstrated how most homilists go about writing their homily. So what I did was I picked up the gospel book, and I went line by line for you and showed you how we interpret it and then how we write it. Uh, so Father Mark had one of those kind of weeks. So um, what I'm going to do for you today is I'm going to present to you uh, very academically uh, the scriptures and hope that uh, to show you again how it is we go about, we pray and then we look at the scriptures from every possible view and then we write a homily. So the first thing we do is we look at what are the connections between the three readings selected. Uh, so in this case, I'm going to go with the first reading and the gospel because the second reading is kind of, as usual with St. Paul, is kind of just there. Um, so um, what we see between the first two, uh, God calls Amos the prophet and sends him. Jesus calls his friends, we call the twelve, the apostles calls them, teaches them, and then sends them. And uh, so we see, all right, here's the connection uh, between the first two. Amos, as we're told, uh, is an unsophisticated shepherd, meaning he's very a simple shepherd, and he seems to be a landscaper because he's the dresser of sycamore trees. But there is actually something symbolic about that, but I have to leave that for a different time. Otherwise, we'll be here all afternoon. Um, the other thing about that is Amos is not a, considered to be a professional prophet meaning in that time, the king had his own prophets and he paid for them. So because he paid for them, they, you had to tell him what he wanted to hear. If you didn't tell the king what he wanted to hear, he got rid of you one way or another, off with their head, right? So Amos is not a professional prophet. Uh, he is not from the ranks of them and therefore he uh, would be rejected. And we can say much the same about uh, the twelve. Remember, Jesus picks them, and they are simple men, fishermen for the most part. And they are not from the ranks of the professionals either. Remember, the professionals of Jesus' time were the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus' disciples are not that. They are going to be rejected by the religious authorities. So now we see the connection between uh, the first reading and the second. And just as um, the prophet in the Old Testament is rejected, the prophets of the New Testament are going to be rejected also. And um, my friends, we, our first reading, Amos, the prophet, is faithful to the task that has been given to him. Even though there will be great challenges and he will be rejected by the people. And for you who study the scriptures, what was Amos trying to do? In Amos's time, there was a division in the kingdom. Hmm. Does it sound reminiscent about today in the church? some divisions, and you see why I've been preaching about being united. So Amos, there was 12 tribes. Ten of them were in the south, and they were rejecting almost everything of Moses. I can't go into the great detail why, but there's a reason why. And the other two tribes is the one that Amos came from. So he's trying to unite them, and uh, it's not working out, not at all. And um, our second reading, St. Paul, this is actually a hymn. He wrote a hymn to sing the praises of God for all the spiritual gifts given to the people in Jesus Christ, in particularly the resurrection, the very gift of Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, as we enter into the gospel, I want 
uh, to bring a note to you, Mark is the first writer of uh, the Gospels, and Luke and Matthew get from him. So whenever there is a discrepancy, as people call it, between the community, the Matthean community, the Lucan, and then Johannian was by far the most different of all. They were really elitist, but that's okay. Um, so um, in Mark's Gospel, his concern is that you know who Jesus Christ is, and you know what it is he's saying about something. And um, the mission that's given in the gospel read today is a temporary mission, and it's one that is smaller in scope and physical distance. Jesus is just sending these 12 to the neighboring towns that are Jewish. That's it. But when he rises from the dead and before he ascends to his father, he will tell them, now I will need you to go to the whole world and do this. Keeping that in mind, we enter into the gospel. The mission of the twelve, as Mark reports to us, Jesus calls them and he instructs them. He has been teaching them. He didn't just say, you, 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 go, go, go. He said, you, 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 come and follow me and let me teach you. And um, he is giving them a time of instruction. Um, what is he telling them about? He's telling them about the true nature of the kingdom of God on earth, which will be where are you guys at right now? You're sitting in the pews of a church, and this is his church. This is the kingdom on earth, believe it or not, according to what Mark will tell us, and it is very true. So this is what Jesus is telling him at first. And we are told, you have to pay attention to the detail. Mark says he sends them out two by two, and um, this is actually an ancient uh, tradition. So it is... Uh, According to the Israelite practice, you have to have someone who corroborates your testimony. So if I was living in time, I would need you. You come with me, we're going to Tacoma. I'm going to preach, and you're going to collaborate with me. And you're going to say, I testify that he, everything he says is true. You see, so the two-by-two two has a reason, um, a very, and that comes from Deuteronomy 19.15. If you go to that piece of Scripture in the Old Testament, it will explain more to us. And he knows that we have a need for human companionship. As the scriptures tell us in Genesis, man was not created. We translate people are not created to live alone. Now, that's certainly true for marriage, but it applies to all human beings. Are we sure about that? Yes. So much so, God is very wise. He sends his son who takes on human form so that you can now touch him. In the past, you could not touch God. Even Moses had to look at a burning bush, a bush that burned and burned and burned and burned and burned and never went away, right? But he couldn't touch it. <laughs> so we see from the scriptures we have a need for human companionship. And we also need this spiritually. So this is why Jesus created his church. We are not supposed to be alone. We're supposed to be a community. We're supposed to be together. And we only, not only have the church on earth, we have that in heaven. We call it the community of saints. St. Nicholas of Tolentino, our, our patron, is your brother. In heaven, they are your brother and sister. So you have spiritual brothers and sisters in heaven. Of course, the, the greatest one is Jesus Christ. But this is also to help us spiritually. We are not to be alone. And my friends... Um, Remember what Jesus does. Jesus himself was sent to herald the good news of the kingdom of God. 
Mark chapter 1, line 15. And so his primary followers begin with a similar mission of purpose and authority. Jesus comes because he himself is God, but his Father sends him and he has that authority. Jesus' disciples have the very authority of Jesus, who is God. So they work with authority. Now, my friends, um, St. Mark begins to give us details. He says they are to take nothing for the journey, that's English. The Greek in Aramaic doesn't use that word. It uses another word. In the Greek, it's odos. Odos, translated into English, is way. I know you scripture scholars should be picking up on this. Do you remember what the followers of Jesus were called in the beginning? They weren't called Christians, were they? They were called the followers of the way. Mark is showing you something. He's telling you something by using the word. We lose it in the English. So uh, we are told they are to take nothing for the way. Uh, the greater implication, the way of life. And um, Jesus suggests uh, this, and we can find the use of the word way towards his disciples, Acts chapter 9, line 2. The instructions for the 12 are that Jesus gives to them is now given to us because we are the disciples now. We're the baptized. So uh, this is how we apply what we call application. What does that old reading have to do with us? I just told you. You're the disciples. What he told them, he now tells us. Jesus um, is recorded as, by Mark as saying uh, there's to be a lack of material possession. What is Mark talking about? He is talking about uh, this is uh, to underscore uh, the dependence upon God. You are not to take all these things with you. Um, so it's common for us to take five suitcases to Las Vegas. Jesus would say, you don't need all that. You don't need it. Just what you got on is going to be good. Um, he's asking them not to rely on their own resale. He says, when you go, take a stick with you, a walking stick, right? And um, now there's a practical reason for that. They live in a region where there are wild animals, wild dogs. They need to beat off the wild animals. They need, they need the walking stick for protection, right? There was also a lot of criminals and thieves. They probably needed to beat up the thieves. Not that we would, we don't have a problem with thievery today, do we? I don't think you would take a stick to them. Maybe down south they would. <laughs> but we don't do that, right? Okay, so now you see when we look at the scriptures, we have to understand all of it. And um, there is also something else going on about the stick that you may not know about, so I'm going to tell you. There is a symbolic meaning to the stick, and that's why you see our bishops with it. You see our bishops walk with a, a crozier. Um, and uh, um, the representation is it recalls the staff of Moses and Aaron. Every time that Moses acted on behalf of God, that stick was with them. That staff was there. Is there magic in the staff? No, it represents God. So um, we find that in Exodus 4.20. If you're looking, where does Father find this? It's in Exodus 4.20. They are to lean upon the stick. And who does the stick represent? God. So they are to lean upon God. And it, it's very tangible, and all the Jews of the time would have known exactly what was going on with this. It is an outward sign 
of the anointed status of those men. And who anoints them? Jesus. And Jesus is? Now, my friends, the stick also um, is a, a method for balancing. So when you're walking up and on rocks and stones, you know, so they balance themselves with that. That also, very practical, very human, but it also means to balance yourself in this world, but to lean on God. So there's great symbolic meaning uh, to all of this. It's always about trust. Trust God in, in, in all things. And um, how does this apply to us? We need to trust Jesus Christ. You've got to learn to trust and put your confidence in Him, to lean on Him, to balance yourself in His ways. And um, the, uh, Mark goes on even deeper. He says, and only one pair of shoes. One, not two, one. And uh, uh, there's a, of course you need shoes. You can't walk barefooted on rocks and stuff. So we see the human piece to that. But there is more to the one pair. It is a direct reference to the Passover. And you'll find that in Exodus 12, 11. Jesus' followers of the time who Mark is writing to knows this. They're picking up on it immediately. You guys probably didn't know this. So when you read the gospel, you just read it. Oh, that was a very nice story. No, it's not just a nice story. It's the truth. But there's many things happening that have great importance to us today. Jesus told them not to take an extra tunic. No more clothes than what you really need. No extra clothing. This is likely... Um, because of the feeling of eschatology, the end times. This community is understanding this. Um, remember from the very beginning what has been preached by, let's, meaning New Testament. John the baptizer, what did he tell you? Yes, he, you're preparing the way for somebody, but what did he say? You repent. You guys repent. Repent, repent, repent. When Jesus begins his public ministry, what does he say? Repent, 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 repent. And so Jesus sends his 12 out to do what, did Mark say? To re teach repentance. Now, in the English, we have the word repentance, but in the Greek, it's metanoia. And metanoia has a deeper meaning. Now, when I say repent to you guys, more than likely the first thing you think of is no meat on Fridays, Lent in purple, Right? Well-trained Catholics, indeed. But when I say metanoia, metanoia means a change of mind and heart. This becomes extremely important. Repentance is a change of mind and heart. Amos is sent to the people to change their what? Their minds and their hearts about God and to return to one fold. And Jesus has sent his disciples out to preach repentance, metanoia. And I want to be very careful uh, with what I'm about to say. It is a fundamental command of Christianity to have repentance, even more basic than the command to love others. Why would I say that? Because to love others, that is Old Testament. That was already in the Old Testament. You should have had that down already, Jesus was saying. What's difference? The repentance part. People thought if they just caught a dove and took it to the temple, that was it. And Jesus is saying, nope, not anymore. 
Not anymore. I'm going to teach you what it is to have metanoia. So um, for Christianity, and we find that in the Old Testament, and John speaks about um, uh, the change of mind and heart in uh, chapter 13, 34. But my friends, when we have a change of mind and heart about things, it impacts how we treat other people. So it's kind of all in the, in the same group. Now, Jesus has been recorded as, by Mark as saying, shake the dust off your feet. That has symbolic meaning for us. First, it is a gesture in the scriptures in English. It says, in testimony against them, because they would not listen. We are to understand it this way. It is a gesture of detachment from the unbelievers, the pagans, and the heathens. But their attention, so that they would listen, and they would change their minds and hearts. So in their times, they would have did this to the people, and the people would have been like, oh, don't you do that to me. You get back here. <laughs> oh, good. Let's talk. See? You see, we have to, there's deeper meanings to everything. And um, now, our current day gestures are very different. You do a gesture to someone, and you're going to get in big trouble. You know, and I'm all kinds of hand gestures and stuff. That's not the same thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This is a totally different type of gesture. But um, there's also, I think, a very human piece that Jesus understood. Um, to, in our time, we would say, you failed, get up, dust off, and keep going. Jesus would say, shake the dust from your feet and move on to the next town because the people in the next town will receive my word. So we are not to be bound and, uh, by failure. Father Mark, in his early days, I've only been a priest 13 years, so in my first, I was, oh, Lord, I, I tried and they didn't work. And I'm like, you. <laughs> you know, and Jesus is like, all right, knock it off. Let's go. Let's move. We got things to do. You don't get to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. And I think he's warning the disciples, they're going to reject you. They're not going to listen to you. Your feelings are going to get hurt. Too bad. Let's move. Let's keep going. Let's continue the mission. So you see, here's the application for us uh, and how we are to understand this. Now, my friends, um, there's a, a, an unusual reference in Mark's gospel that are not in the other two about this afternoon, the afternoon that Mark is talking about. From, um, there's a reference to the anointing with oil. And uh, for us Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, this is a great suggestion and foundation of our sacramental practice of the anointing of the sick. The anointing of the sick has very ancient origins all the way back to the Old Testament times. And most certainly, as we heard from Mark, in the apostolic ministry of Jesus Christ. He sent them out and said, tell them to repent and then do something for them. Touch them, pray over them, anoint them. And um, so uh, it's a very, this is very Jewish and it was the culture of their time and Jesus harnessed it to use um, for the good. And uh, independent of the scriptures, uh, the manuals uh, in history tell us that back in those days, they used vinegar for cleansing and oil for healing. And um, so Jesus takes this and uses it as a tangible sign of God's kingdom at work. 
Uh, so it's very important for us. And um, Christ makes it a sign of God's inner spiritual healing for the person because he's worried about the soul always. He's worried about the body, but he's worried about the soul. In this gospel passage from St. Mark, I'm hoping by the academic way I presented it to you, you will see that Mark presents us a blueprint of how we are to be disciples. If you go back, listen to what I just said, go back and read it, with a fresh look, you will see it as a blueprint for our lives. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are on a journey and a mission. I want to be absolutely clear with you, the baptized. You and I are not wanderers on this earth, just wandering around about doing nothing. Because I get a lot of people saying, I don't know what my purpose is, I don't know what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. You have purpose, you have mission. We, the baptized, are pilgrims and missionaries. So we always, in all time, whether we're 10 or whether we're 110, we have mission and purpose. And uh, we have a purpose and a goal. What is it, Father? Jesus. He has the way, the truth, and the life. You follow him. That is both our mission and our goal. It's kind of simple, really. Um, to the baptized, the Lord Jesus Christ gives a mission, and then he accompanies it with his grace to carry it out always. Now, my friends, yes, I've had 15 years of studying the scriptures, but, and we tend to look at it this way, but I've been with you for seven years now, and we have been learning the scriptures. I've been teaching you from the scriptures. My homilies are based in the scriptures. I've tried to show you how the Old Testament and New Testament are at one with each other. I should be able to give you my notes and then tell you next week you prepare a speech. <laughs> and you should be able to do it. No, no, no. You should be able to do it. Well, <laughs> oh, you go. <laughs> <laughs> You should be able to do it because we have been studying the scriptures and living them for seven years, more than that, but I mean, since I've been your pastor, we've been doing this. And I pray that it's fallen on your heart and that you continue to look. We have scripture study uh, and all that. Now, my friends, um, in church theology, we have this thing called maintenance and mission. A good example, Jesus was, he first started maintenance mode. He called the people. He instructed them, taught them, got them organized, and then he missioned them. Now, Jesus was brilliant because he missioned them, and he kept missioning and kept missioning and kept missioning. There was no more maintenance. We need both. Very carefully. The church has been in maintenance mode for about 15 years now. The priest scandals the disorganization, the financial scandals. When I say maintenance, I'm not talking about the parking lot. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about things. And we have to have both. And sometimes when one, sometimes we have to lean on the maintenance and get things done, and sometimes we have to do mission mode. Um, there are some very holy bishops whose eyes have been open. They said, you know what? It is time for mission. And um, I believe Archbishop our archbishop is one of them. He is preparing for mission mode. And uh, so knowing this already, I've been trying to balance both, but we are going to move into mission mode also. And in, to help with that, uh, 
we created a new position. Michelle Heitzman, who uh, was our youth, our young adult and youth minister, is now going to become uh, the, what we call PA, pastoral assistant, for parish life ministry with special assignment to our school as its campus minister so that we can instill Catholic virtues and values and identity in our very own school. That is all mission work. That is not maintenance. That is mission work. And um, we will, uh, so we, um, she's going to finish up her studies. She'll have her degree in theology. There will be another theologian here. Yay! She will need a big stick. <laughs> now that you guys know the references to stick, you get it. Um, so we, um, we pray uh, that the whole church, um, like I said, uh, uh, we need to do both, but sometimes we get stuck uh, just in one. Jesus showed us. Maintenance, got it done, got it instructed, got it, got, now send them out to do. And mission mode is not just uh, evangelization will look at ourselves first, but mission will say beyond you to the others. And uh, so we'll have to work towards that. 